in the world's history where there was a lot of disagreement and a lot of dissension, a lot of arguing, a lot of problems, and there was this generation that just asked the question, why can't we just love one another? And John and Paul jumped into that conversation and said, we're gonna write you a song. It was actually one of the very first um, like mass-produced television specials, and the Beatles played this song, and it really became like the song for um, a lot of the movements that happened in the 60s, where they asked the question and, and made the bold assertion, all you need is love. And, and honestly, I get it. Um, it's catchy. Uh, it seems brilliant in its simplicity. All you need is love. Yeah, that's so true. All you need is love. It's a little bit like money makes the world go round, to be honest with you. It has that same kind of ring to it, doesn't it? There's this like apparent wisdom, this subtle attraction. I, I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak about John and Paul like I know them really well. And, and by the way, it's not this John and Paul, right? It's a different John and Paul. Without being overly critical, I just, I'm curious. Like if that really is true, then why on September the 20th, 1969, did John go to the group and say, I'm leaving? Like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna work with you people anymore. And, and when he did, I just have to wonder if Paul just looked at him and said, all you need is love. That they were in kind of a heated disagreement about like whether or not they should be on the road. They had come off of a really kind of a long, long, long tour, and they were really, really tired. And so they were in this kind of this, what they call the studio years for the Beatles. And there was like this major disagreement. And interestingly enough, like this song and that sentiment didn't fix it. They had creative disagreements. John thought, again, my friend John thought that the, the way that they wrote lyrics and wrote songs kind of when they came out was kind of childish. And he recently started a relationship and was about to marry and he wanted something much deeper, something more profound, something that would uh, really kind of captivate um, creative interests and imaginative interests. Um, interestingly, he's gonna write a song that also kind of catches us as wise and powerful. Remember the song Imagine? So, and I mean this with all due respect, well-intended shallow. I'm really, I'm not trying to be overly critical. I, I, like I get it, I've been lured into this. I probably, I, I couldn't find it, but I probably preached a sermon, all you need is love. 1 Corinthians 13, all you need is love. It just that doesn't actually seem to be true. It's not what the Bible says. But I would tell you this, I think that's what a lot of us believe or want to believe or with a certain degree of um, simplicity, just assume if we would just love more. One of the reasons why we want this series, so we're starting a seven-week series on love is a biblical perspective. 
It's because we recognize the very powerful truth that there is something alluring about this. There is something desperate that we're trying to find in this. But it's not true. Like in reality, we need something more than love. I think what we need is someone to love us. I think that's the difference. And, and we want to get in, in this series, we want to get into that kind of nuanced specificity. We, we want the Bible to speak to us, like in its fullness. To be able to say, without sweeping away everything, but the Bible will speak to us and, and it will say, I, we, I understand where you're coming from. The Bible speaks like this. Like, I know of your brokenness, and I know what will really satisfy you. So I know why you're lured into this, but let me kind of pull that back and let me help you understand that it's deeper than John and Paul understood. And it's the reason why they couldn't stay together. It's the reason why it was easier for them to sever relationships and still sing this song if, if you know, if it's a, if it's a concert. You can't really do that with the Bible. The Bible doesn't want you to just kind of take it and rip it apart and just kind of use it in a tweetable moment. No, the Bible offers so much more. It doesn't give us this, hear me, merely sentimental perspective. Love is sentimental. I'm sentimental. Love has this, 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 this draw and this this passion, Pascal says this, that the heart has reasons that the reason knows not of. The heart has reasons that the reason knows not of. What, what Pascal is describing there is that there is something in the human experience that pulls us in and captivates us and um, inspires us. And I, I think... One of the reasons why we need the Bible to come and to kind of speak to us is because without the Bible, we can become drawn into thoughts that have a level of depth that in the end do not satisfy us. So we need something more than love. We need someone to love us. But just like Jeannie in my junior high, uh, high school days who loves you makes all the difference. Jeannie was a young lady that, um, just like every, every one of us, just wanted to be loved, wanted to be cared for. And so she would sometimes say to the youth minister, I, I really need someone to kind of, you know, to spend time with me and to kind of help me and, you know, to help me kind of feel like I'm a part of the group. And so we would try to find someone or he would try to find someone for her and, and she would say this, no, 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 not, not her, him. Like the who matters, doesn't it? It's not just that we are loved. Who loves you matters deeply. And the Bible recognizes that. The Bible speaks to that. And then the Bible answers not just a simple answer, not just a kind of this routine answer, but the Bible actually points us Maybe not to the one that we think we need, but to the one that we just truly need. So here's what 
um, our desire is for this series, seven weeks. It will lead us up to around Valentine's Day, but this series is not about Valentine's Day. It's much deeper than that. And what this series is going to do is, is going to teach us to think about love from a biblical perspective, because that's usually not where you and I begin or end. What you and I, and it's a, a human issue, right? It's not necessarily this culture. What you and I usually do is when we think about love, we think about what we mean by love, how we understand love, how we define love. So you know what love looks like? Love looks like, and then I go into my mind, and I go into my memories, I go into my experience, and I begin to describe for you someone who loved me or someone who cared for me that sparked this kind of emotional response in me, and that's now the definition of love. Or... It's like this void in my life that nobody could fill. That, you know what, if, if my parents really did love me or if so-and-so really did care for me, they would have done this. And I'm literally not trying to recreate an experience that I had, but I'm trying to create an experience I have never had but I'm still longing for. And I call that love. And, and we do that individually and I think we even do that collectively as a culture. We try to understand what love is, and then we say, hey, John, Paul, can you write us a song? Hey, Netflix, can you kind of give us a, a movie? Can you give us like a show so that we can understand what love is? Pretty women, pretty woman. Now, that's love right there. Remember that? Richard Gere, Julie Roberts. Now, that's love. That's love. Right? She saved him, and then he, he saved her, is that right? He rescued her and then she rescued him right back. Isn't that the closing line? That's what love is. And then we try to find it in here. So what we desire for this series is that these two things that we will all do, what you and I will do. And, and the first one is, is that we will bring to this series a dose of humility. When, when I talk about the kind of humility to allow the Bible to instruct us, it's not that we don't believe anything that we've been taught. We don't believe anything that we've experienced. That's, I don't even know if that, I don't think that's possible. It's not that I don't believe it or that I reject it. What humility says is, I'm willing to take those things. I'm willing to take some of my deepest emotional needs. I'm willing to take some of my strongest intellectual arguments and let scripture instruct them. Let scripture mold them and modify them and change them. Under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to let scripture actually teach me what love is. That's the kind of humility I'm talking about. The kind of humility that says, I, I don't know if I know. I don't know if I know what I know, and I don't know if I know what I want. I just got a ton of convictions. And I, I want the Bible to begin to mold and to shape my understanding of love. I, I would say this does not happen a lot. Um, I, I would say almost every deconstruction story, almost every wrestling with faith experience at some level 
has a disagreement about what they wanted the Bible to be, what they wanted God to be, and the one that is presented here. And when it doesn't match up, it seems like the most respectable and appropriate thing to do is to sever that relationship. Instead of saying, like, maybe I don't know what love is. Maybe the song's right. I want to know what love is, and I, I want you to show me. Because left to myself, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to recreate things. So that's the purpose of this series. Let, let's bring a dose of humility, which isn't, I don't know anything. It's, I'm still learning some things. The second thing is, is a dose of reality. What I love about how the scripture teaches um, and what I would say to John and Paul, not, wow, that's so dumb. No, no, no. But you, are, do, are you guys willing to admit that it's more? That's the beauty of reality. That's the beauty of this book is what the Bible does. What most people really begin to even wrestle with is the Bible presents pictures of God and pictures of relationships and pictures of love that you usually don't hear about, that don't have that kind of grit or that kind of tear in it, that kind of pain or that kind of anguish, anguish that kind of persistence, that kind of holding on and not letting go ever. Or the kind that says, I really need to let you go. It seems like every time I'm talking or I'm hearing someone talk, and we're describing what the loving response is to a situation. And I truly mean this. Sometimes when I'm talking, you know what you, know what you do if you, if you were loving? It seems like the next words that come out of that person's mouth are not able to fully encapsulate everything that's happening. Is that fair? Like, it's just more. And I love that reality. And so what this series is intended to do is to allow the Bible to speak to us on its own terms about what love is. To mold us and shape us. What I love about what the Bible does on this issue of love, this sermon is actually not about how God loves us or there'll be no mandate. You know what you need to do? No. This sermon, much like the Bible, just kind of has as its biggest premise, God. Enter Yahweh God into the narrative, into the story. And when I say enter, that's kind of weird because he's, he's the only one that's always been here. Like God doesn't enter into your circumstances. God doesn't enter into our lives. No, he's always been here. He's the first one that was here. And I think it's good for us to remember that, that he is the one that helps order all of these things. It's not the other way around. What might look like, like you and I are discovering things, sure, we're discovering them, but they were already there. And that's true about the love that God even has for us. Enter Yahweh. Um, by the way, Yahweh actually is that one that makes the difference. The one that comes along and sets the standard. And the one who says rather boldly and consistently throughout the scriptures 
I love you. And it's not merely sentimental. Because when we say to God, God, Yahweh, why do you love us? Like, what is it? Why is it that you love us? Because this is the question that we ask. Have you ever been surprised by love? You love them, and then you find out that they love you back. You're like, really? You know that moment of awareness? Really? And then you want to know what? Why? Because I'm cute? Because I'm funny? Because I'm smart? Because I'm nice? Like, what is it? Yahweh, God, why do you love us? And Deuteronomy says it. Verses seven and eight of Deuteronomy chapter seven. The Lord had his heart set on you. Now, by the way, I I get it. He's talking about Israel. But there's no way that you can deal with Deuteronomy without recognizing that God had a plan and a purpose. We preached this a couple series ago. God has a plan and a purpose that he promised to Abraham that he would bless all the peoples. And what is specifically true in Deuteronomy 7 about Abraham and his descendants then spills over into our lives. There's a lot of similarities between the nation of Israel and God's people, the church. There's a lot of similarities. We're not the most popular. We're not the largest. We're not the most powerful. I don't think we're ever intended to be. And God says that he had his heart set on them. And I chose you, not because you were more numerous than all the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but because the Lord loved you. Isn't that a weird statement? God, why do you love me? Because I love you. That's not an answer. Yes, it is. And that answer is terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And you want to know why? Because you and I cannot control that. I want you to think for a moment. How much of how you act is based upon controlling the environment and the responses from the people around you? I need to be attractive. At least do the best with what God gave me, right? And I'm gonna do everything I can to try to make this pretty. And some of you, it's easy. And for some of you, we're still waiting, right? I mean, that's just how it is. I just wanna be pretty. I just want, I just wanna be liked. And so you and I very carefully select our words, don't we? intentionally select our words. Why? So that we can control, and I don't mean this in the mm, manipulate, but so that we can control and to manipulate the circumstances around us so that we can be liked. And God says, if you want to know why I love you, I love you because I loved you. And that is something that is beyond our ability to control. And I think this is one of the reasons why you and I spend a lot of time trying to control it. That is why religions were invented, so that you and I could create a level of predictability so if we acted like this, God would have to do this. That's religion. But God in Deuteronomy presents an alternative way, his way, 
which is if you wanna know why I chose you, I chose you because I loved you, and if you wanna know why I loved you, I loved you because I loved you. And you and I say, that makes no sense. But it is the way of God. It is the way of the one who is completely sufficient in himself, where he is actually, I believe, the only being that is free in that sense to love, free to care for us, absolutely free. He's not trying to satisfy anything in himself. He will never try to manipulate or to use you. I love you because I love you. He says, and I kept the oath that I swore to your ancestors. Like, like this is who I am. When I said that I would be with you to the end, like I meant it. And, and the, the, what you and I do, we spend our time just wondering if the people who said they loved us, like how long, how long are they gonna be able to hold on to that? I remember hearing somebody making this comment you know, I, I really thought about getting the tattoo of my wife on my arm, and then I just thought, Ugh, but tattoos are permanent. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were other things that are kind of permanent too, by the way. It's that whole till death do us part thing. But I think all of us are constantly living in and therefore trying to act in certain ways to encourage people to love us and to care for us, to encourage people to stay engaged with us. And God comes to us. I think it's why it's terrifying and saying, you have literally, like you have nothing for me that I need. I love you freely and I love you purely. It is who I am. Isn't that interesting? God loves because not us, but him. And when that happens, what can be terrifying, when you begin to experience that, it becomes the most peaceful thing in your life. It moves from terrifying to peaceful. How? Because then all of a sudden you realize like there's, there's nothing I can do to change this. This really isn't up to me. See, I guess that's the concern. I've, I've had lots of relationships where people like me at first. I'm really likable for about a week. But then reality sets in. And you begin to know like my limits or my weaknesses. What I like to call idiosyncrasies and what Andrea likes to call things that drive me crazy. And God says, yeah, I don't, I don't love you because of those things. I love you because I love you. And this is what you and I say. There's gotta be more. And listen, there is more, but the more is in him. There is more, but that more is in him. Not in you. Not in me. Not in us but in him. 
And therefore, the reason why we're, we're wanting this level of humility and reality to kind of come in and begin to instruct us as we go through the word and say, teach us what love is. We want to know what it is. We want you to show us. What happens is that when we begin to know Yahweh, then we begin to understand fully what to know what love is. Like as I know him and as I know him better, I know what love is. We do it by reverse. I grew up in a loving family and so what I know what love is and now I wanna see if God measures up. I mean, easily the most significant relationship is my life, in my life is my, my, life with, or my, my love with Andrea. And then I, I look at emotionally and existentially and logically at my relationship with God and I have these two things and I'm trying to measure them. I, I, I'm always talking with people and they're just saying, you know, I just don't know if I feel like God loves me. Well, do, you, do you think Susan loves you? Oh yeah, no, that's, that's real. Like that's powerful, you know? And the love of God is not. And it's not like I'm going, I don't get it. No, I get what they're saying. How many of you, the love of someone really, really close to you just feels so much more real than the love of God? And I would say part of that problem is that we don't really know him. To know him is to know love. To know him is to know what love looks like. So not, I know what love looks like, now I'm going to find it. It's, I think I know what love looks like. Oh, no, that's not what love looks like because this is what the Lord did and it's different than that. I think C.S. Lewis is right in his book, The Four Loves. He, he basically describes in a way that there are many Christians, and I'm, I'm guilty of this sometimes, there are many Christians, there are many believers who are not in love with God, but they're in love with like a version of God or some kind of particular idea of God, like that's what they really love. But not me. You guys, you've been watching the, the movie, or the TV show, The Chosen? I've had a couple people ask me recently, hey, have you seen The Chosen? I haven't heard you talk a lot about it. Have you seen it? And the answer is, yeah, like I haven't, haven't started season three yet, but I've seen it. And they, they say, well, I wanna know what you think. And I say, well, I'll tell you a couple of things. First of all, I'll admit it, I cry a lot. I do, I cry a lot. I'm sitting there crying. Oh, is it, is it that insightful? Is it that accurate? No, not always. But I, I can sit there and I can just imagine what it was like as John is writing his gospel and I will just start to cry. So thanks for the help. You know what I mean? In season one, episode three, do you guys remember the one with Jesus and the kids? Remember that one? Like I fell in love with that one. So much so that I told staff meeting one day, hey, we're gonna watch The Chosen, season one, episode three. Because this is amazing. This is like an... This is, a, this is a game changer. You gotta watch this episode. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I can even really ruin it for you, but there's this episode and it's Jesus and he's with these kids and he's playing with them and he's just, I mean, he's just so awesome and it's just this very real, powerful, surprising um, picture of Jesus and who he is. And as we're watching this, I just, I had easily one of the scariest thoughts I've had in the last number of years. As I'm watching this episode, I just confess to you today that I'm watching this episode and I'm thinking to myself, I sure hope the real Jesus is this nice. 
What am I doing there? You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I promise you, I've shared this with other people, and they don't go, wow, that's crazy. They go, that's what I was thinking. I sure hope the real Jesus is this nice. I sure hope the real God is this gracious. I sure hope the real God is this understanding. So you think there's a way of being like kind or loving or nice that somehow is more than him? Kinda. Me too. So what you and I are going to be doing in this series is that we're gonna say we're gonna, we wanna know him, we wanna know God. And, and in that way, when we begin to see that, when we know him, we know what love looks like. For everything that God does is in fact loving, is in fact kind, is in fact gracious. Really, yeah. If you really wanna talk about it, you really wanna kind of delve into how, how it works. God doesn't just shift. The Bible describes him this way. He isn't unpredictable and he doesn't just shift. And, and we're not going here in 1 John 4, but God is love. Love is not God, but God is love. Do you believe that? Well, mostly. I just think there's some areas I think he could work on. Right? It's right that I think we think that, but it's wrong that we think that. And not only will we know what God looks, know what love looks like when we look at Yahweh God, but then we will know what being loved really feels like. I think there's a lot of what I have now conditioned myself over years of relationships on what I, what I. How I register love is um, still immature or still broken or it's still not communicating it rightly. Um, have you guys heard about like what they call the five love languages? Andrew and I have gone through this because we have different languages. Um, I remember we're, we're trying to work through some issues, okay? Because we love each other. So we're going to work through these issues. And Andrea's describing to me like how she loves me. I love you. And so these are some of the ways that I love you. I love you. And I, um, uh, you know, back before she started working at Stillwater Medical, like, I mean, supper's ready every day when you come home. And I never asked for that, but that's what she was doing because she loves me. And, and here's what I do. Here's how the house is. And here's, here's, she was listing all of these things that she does for me. And in not one of my more brilliant moments, my response to my wife as she is describing all of these things that she does for me to show her love. I said to her, I really did say to her, but honey, it's hard to register those things as love, these things that you do that I could just pay for somebody to do. <laughs> okay, listen, you would have said a similar thing. <laughs> like you look, yeah, right now you're brilliant because you're not in it. But I, I promise you, if I have a real conversation with your spouse, you're gonna, well, listen, yeah, no, no, yeah, he said dumb stuff too, right? <laughs> but what we were describing there, okay, was not just a dumb statement, but I'll admit it, it wasn't a good statement. <laughs> Can I tell you what's interesting? What I was trying to tell her was, like, honey, like, those things don't matter to me. Like, doesn't this sound loving? Let me rephrase. <laughs> Most of my marriage is spent by me saying, 
Let me rephrase. <laughs> what I want you to know, Andrea, is like I don't need you to have a meal ready for me. I don't need you to do my laundry. Like that's not why I married you. Like isn't that sweet? Come on, give me a, oh, right? Don't just, yeah, thank you. I got a couple of you there. Like that's what I was trying to say. That's what I was trying to get across. See, what the Bible teaches us is that, just like with a love language, truly, I believe there are many ways that God has demonstrated love for us, and it's just not connecting. Like, it's just not, it's not getting through. And we're praying that through humility and reality, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that it will get through, that you will know that God loves you. It's interesting how much Deuteronomy just kind of presupposes that idea that to know God is to know love. And to know that he loves you is, is kind of the, the, the basis of this relationship that he has with his people is to know that he loves them. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse nine. Look at what it says. Know that Yahweh, your God, is God. He's a faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty. That, that word there can sometimes be translated like covenantal love. Like his faithfulness to you, which if you know the story of the Bible, is not dependent upon whether or not they get it right. Because when they get it wrong, God still gets it right. Isn't that awesome? Do you know that you and I are the ones in the relationship that keep, keep getting it wrong? You and I are the ones that don't deserve him. You and I are the ones who repeatedly wonder, when is he going to walk away? And the answer is, I'm going nowhere. But why? Like, it makes no sense to me why you've put up with this. And he says, I don't put up with this because of you. I don't knock away, not, not walk away because of you. I do that because of me. And what was once terrifying, if it translates and if it begins to register to us, is our greatest sense of peace. Know that Yahweh, your God, is your God, a faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse 13 says, and he will love you. He will love you. I, I think we have become obsessed with love. Absolutely obsessed with love. And I understand the reason why. After all, 1 Corinthians 13, which is, will be the last text for this series on February 19th, we'll be just literally looking through everything the Bible teaches from 1 Corinthians 13. It's got a lot to teach us about love. 1 John 4 says that God is love. But before we get to either of those things, I think what Deuteronomy says is that God is is greater than God is love. 
the fact that he is, the character of who he is, the faithfulness of who he is, the persistence of who he is, is actually the greatest piece of him. That, I believe, lures us in, causes us to feel peace and mercy and to respond with worship. So I want you to know this morning, God loves you. And that's so much more than just all you need is love. So by the way, if you ever hear that song again, I want you to hear all you need is God's love for you. (laughs) That's really what you need. And God loves you, why? And the answer is because that's who he is. And that fact, who God is and his love for you, actually is more than enough. And we pray that 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 registers with you. That for those of you that struggle with intellectually or emotionally, sentimentally, or with your reason, that you would, through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit, know of God's love for you. As this series unfolds, that you would be able to, in the scriptures, recognize what love is and that you would become transformed by the love of God that has been demonstrated to us. And I think that's why it's just so appropriate that the one thing that we do every Sunday is this. That every Sunday we spend some time not just talking generically about God's love, but we think about it like this. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he basically takes the bread, which they would have known what this means, and then he helps them understand that it means more than they realize. He takes the bread and he breaks it. And he gives it to them and he basically says, this is me, this is my body, and this is given to you. And I don't know if one of the disciples said, why are you doing this? I don't think fully understood what was happening, but they could have said, why are you doing this? What did we do to deserve this? And the answer is, I'm not just doing this for you. Like I'm doing this to be faithful to my father. He loves you. Communion becomes that thing that we cannot explain by looking inward. We have to look upward. Why do you do this? Because I love you. Let us take the bread and let the goodness of God and eat. And the cup representing his blood that was spilt, his life that was spent. Let us drink. There is nothing we can do to deserve. But there is a response that we can naturally offer. That after coming into engagement with the living God and with the truth, with the reality and with great humility about God's love for us, then we can respond to him. And I pray this morning that you really are able to. To sing words about God's faithfulness and about God's love for us, about God's kindness for us 
and that your worship would be the response that a loving God deserves. Amen.